Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. Levin Morgan stepped into touch in 1966. I did it for Wales. Good evening. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening. Um, so I suppose the only place to start tonight is uh, with the Welsh match. Uh, the Irish team hasn't been announced as of yet, but the Wales team was announced and they reintroduced some of their sort of a classic Wales brand to meet some of the um, Scarlet's brand who who won who well who won against Scotland so convincingly and then had a very close encounter with England. Um, who do you think we will pick in response to the Welsh team? And let's start with the pack. So, um, I think that well, I'd like us to pick Devon Toner. So whether we said it in the last podcast or whether we said it off mic in the real world. I um, think that Dev is the best mauler that we have in the team and that we missed him. And I think maulings of particular uh, importance just given how Leinster played against the Scarlets. So, as you said, there's a bit less of a Scarlets influence in this team. But Leinster's tactics were kick it into the corner, maul it, don't give them a chance to go for the breakdown and don't give them a chance to get into your own territory. And I think we'll kick the leather off the, off the ball. So... To that end, I think I think you might even go with Jack McGrath. I thought Jack played really well against uh, the Italians, um, and so I think Keane is playing. I think Keane Healy's playing better this season, but there's so little in it, and they're both so proven that um, I think he I think he might go for that. That's yeah. I'm not sure if you can have group think with two people, but I do agree on the mall. And especially you look at the Welsh personnel that they've picked. And bar Alan Wynne-Jones, I don't see a great mauler in there. I don't see, there's no Jake Ball, you know, who as a physically extremely large man, strong man, has proved himself as a great mauler. And then the other great mauler that they had is Charters, whose ability to get his arms over the top and just haul in the last man, the guy who was latching on at the back, was really destructive. It may not look... Uh, particularly brutal or anything, but it was extremely effective. So with Navidi, Shingler, those to me are is uh, there's potential there to to go after that sort of smallish, sort of lightweight back row of theirs, in the same manner that we did in Joe Schmidt's first season when we took on a Welsh team who were coming off the back of of um, two championships in a row. They came to Lansdowne Road in 2014, February 8th, 2014. And, and Ireland ran, mauled, the sh- mauled them really well under John Plumtree. John and then, you know, eventually got a, a very, very late try to make the score a little bit lopsided. It was 20, 20, 22 or 26 to 3, I think. Um, so, like uh, like my colleague, the other mole there, I, I think that, kicking the leather off the ball, kicking it into touch and, and going after um, going after incremental gains uh, within the tram lines is, is going to be how we'll approach the first half. Um, 
we're all taking it that um, Ty will play, but if he were to be absent on account of the hamstring injury, who would you have a tight head? Porter. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with Porter as well. I think um, I read it just recently. I read uh, Donald Lennon's comments saying that Gatlin would go after a young player, and I think there that's a valid fear. Um, but I think that Porter is is a really exceptional talent. I, I would rank him pre- pretty much in the same bracket as, as Stockdale and, and Ryan. Uh, I know there was teammates uh, that year in the 2016 under 20s. I think he's an extremely talented player. He's going to be Ireland's backup tight head for the next World Cup. And then after the World Cup, he'll challenge Tyke Furlong for the starting jersey. Um, I don't think that... If John Ryan was in the form he'd shown last season, I think it would be a really, really difficult question and I'd probably lead towards Ryan, but I don't think Ryan has been as good this season. I don't think Rob Evans is a particularly destructive scrummager. I think that... Uh, I think they've I think they've, they've a solid scrum, um, but I don't, I don't think he's in... I don't think he's in real danger, whereas, you know, if you're playing a French team that really wanted to go after you... Um, I'm a fan of Ken Owens... But he's not a big as man as, as Hibbard or uh, Baldwin. You know, like Hibbard in particular, both big blokes, but Hibbard, Hibbard was really big. Um, so there's probably not quite as much pressure that they can put on if, you know, you had an enormous hooker like uh, like Serva or if you had sort of like a Steve Thompson type guy. So, like, I think for it's a shame for Ireland that Liam Williams is back because he's really good in the air. I think it'd be, there'd be much more because I do think that we just want to kick the ball up in the air and and get after it and pin the Welsh back and don't allow them into our own half and try to make it a mauling game, try to make it a set piece game. Um, part of the thing that I was thinking during the week was if I was Welsh, how would I view this match? And I think in the in the two podcasts ago and the the first one. We were talking about points difference probably not being as important as it has been in, in previous, but bonus points being really important. Mm-hmm. So the Welsh have picked up a bonus point against Scotland, winning bonus point, which I don't think I don't think any other other teams are gonna to struggle to replicate that. Yeah. Bonus point away against England, which mm-hmm. is a good result. So if they beat us, they are in an opportunity of winning the championship and hoping that somebody does a job in England, be it us or Scotland or France. Now you know, all of the. I think England are going to be the favourites. Because if they lose against us, it's another championship gone. And there's a like I thought Wales would have won the championship two years ago, the year that England won the Grand Slam. Like if if I had to pick a team to win the Grand Slam going into that, I was gonna I would I would have picked Wales given how many players they had coming back, the age profile, how well they'd done in the World Cup without without a lot of the good players. Whereas now, um, a lot of those guys are missing. Or a little bit past their best, so it's it's either gonna be the sort of a birth of another Gatland team if they win, or a championship missed out. So for Wales, this is a really pivotal match because like the England match always dictates what their championship is is gonna be like. Like basically, do they win the Grand Slam or not? Because mm-hmm. uh, they get so much from that game. But if they don't beat England and playing in Twickenham that's going to be really difficult the Ireland match is the pivotal one because it's away particularly particularly in these uh, even years because it's away and bec- like they're definitely I'd be amazed if they don't win their two home matches probably both with bonus points 
against mm. the Italians and the French. Yeah, um, it's interesting that you mentioned Liam Williams as a key uh, introduction. I think Dan Bigger will prove to be key because I think there's not that Reese Patchell didn't deserve criticism for shortcomings in his game against the English, but all, so much of his his good play against the Scottish was forgotten, and so much of his importance in allowing them to play uh, the brand of rugby that, that he played against the Scots uh, was seemingly written out within within a day of the English loss. I don't think that Bigger has anything like the same compatibility with the centre partnership of Hadley Parks and. And Scott Williams, how could he? Because he doesn't play with them week in, week out. He hasn't been playing with them for the last two years, week in, week out. Uh, whereas Patchell has. So I think that will impact on Wales's ability to move through the gears as fluidly as they did against Scotland. And I think that both sides will kick the ball a lot. And Gareth Davies on the other side of the ball. Mm. Or the other side of the out half. Uh, yeah, so you're you're replacing that Scarlets combination, that nine through thirteen combo, with uh, an Osprey. And again, like if you look at the head to heads, uh, where Ireland are strong is tight five, uh, presuming Furlong plays, and at uh, at halfback. And it almost doesn't matter for us who starts at loose head. Like both the loose heads are really good, mm-hmm. and it almost doesn't matter. Having said, I would have preferred Toner to start this one. It almost doesn't matter who plays between Ryan and, and Toner because like Toner will really suit this match. I think the other thing with Toner, and th- this is a bit like uh, this is a bit like me praising Rob Carney in the first match and then just asking for him to be dropped <laughs> thereafter. So I'm, <laughs> it's the mole contradiction minute. Predictions to come um, is that the line out against the Italians was really good. Now a much less formidable line out uh, with not competing against um, not Macala. Camera, Camera. Um, like who's a super like, like who's awesome getting up and down the line and getting up in the air the Italians don't have anybody like that but but Toner lorded it and like it was just good ball after good ball after good ball now Shingler's like a, a really good springy athletic tall light guy as is Navidi Navidi's a great spring a really good line out player yeah he doesn't have the same length of arms like Shingler is, is 6 foot 5 Shingler's 6 5 and he has really he has a great spring I think he's I, I would say he's pretty much right up there with Cameron as a, as a line out forward so then I think Corey you know, Hill though to me is isn't you know I think he's he's a weakness the weekend we can attack Shadrico doesn't even know who he is uh, <laughs> Ever since the Lost Boys, his work has gone downhill. <laughs> and so I think tight five, Ireland have the upper hand and at halfback we have the upper hand. So going back to the sort of the bigger thing, Gatland is a good selector, certainly in my opinion. And given the opportunity to pick bigger or Sexton on tour, he picked Sexton. Mm-hmm. Like for the big matches, but he picked Farrell first of all. And then he, but he, like he kept Farrell and picked Sexton. So, and then once bigger has the opportunity to come in, straight back in and Patchell's been good Patchell's been on fire and you can argue Patchell offers you an awful lot from the bench a lot of pop gives you a lot of versatility with who else you can pick on the bench but he goes for bigger mm-hmm. um, Conor Murray definitely better than Gareth Davis doesn't make Gareth Davis a bad player but uh, again I think Ireland have the upper hand particularly if you want to kick it a lot um, outside that if you're Welch you, you have to think if we mark Earls and Stockdale, their midfield isn't going to score. 
Well, yeah, let's get on to the selection issue in the Irish backs. Um, the big gap is what Robbie Henshaw, uh, we've lost with Robbie Henshaw. Uh, and then there's a couple of different configurations that people can come up with in their head. Um, will we all assume safely that Bundyaki will definitely play? I think I'm it's going to be Aki and Farrell. I agree. I think it's a certainty, a racing certainty. Um, and I think that it's not just that uh, Robbie Henshaw is injured. It's also that Jared Payne is out, who's been up until Ringrose emerged. He was a real mainstay of the Irish midfield. Also, Ringrose, I don't see Ringrose coming back in time for this game. Um, Feels like it would be very un-Joe for him to drop him in with yeah. no game time. It would it would almost look panicky. I think. I think I think you're absolutely right. I think it's on Joe. It's unease to be. It's unfair. I just don't see it. I don't see it happening. Um, so we're we're down to realistically we're down to we're down to our our fourth choice uh, outside centre. Uh, and I think for a fourth choice outside centre, Chris Farrell offers a lot. Um, I think that Bundy's performance, albeit against it an average opposite number um, in the Italian game was was really impressive. I felt he he grew into the game, to use that onerous phrase. And his outside break for for Earls' try was really, it's great to see. Uh, you know, that he he judged up his option and he saw that he, he had a chance to go for the outside break and then he made that break. It was really positive. Now, I don't think he's going to get a lot of outside breaks against uh, the Welsh defence because that outside-in defence that they run is going to probably cut off Farrell from him, never mind anybody further out. So I think Bundy is going to have a, a lot of a lot of work to do for us. It's also, it goes back to something we said earlier as well. We're sort of, even though Levy um, is a better carrier than Josh van der Flyer, you know, without Sean O'Brien, without Jamie Heaslip, we're shorn of a few carriers in the back row and Without Robbie Henshaw, I think there's a big onus on carrying in the two big centres that we have, Aki and, and Willby Farrell. Yeah, and I think uh, we've been we haven't shown Bundy much love. So I think again, looking at that Leinster match, and I think the way that Wales will defend is going to be quite similar to the Scarlets. It's going to be that like a hard push up and a sort of a hard push up from second centre from the outside in. So the Scarlets did that against Leinster and Noel Reid looked up a few times and just went, but what am I to do if, if I can't throw a skip pass? And you're there going, smash him, Reader, Run into them and smash him. And you're going, that's not an option. Whereas with Bundy Aki, it is. Like if Bundy looks up and goes, I can't throw a pass, you just go, great, I'll just step and I'll smash him. Mm. And Aki is particularly good at offloading. And I don't, I don't think he's lost that. Um, and I think... Having almost having the op, the the options reduced is is sometimes it's good. You you don't like that tyranny of choice idea. Uh, if if you can only play by kicking it up in the air and by smashing it, great. At least you know what you're going to do. And Bundy's like I said, he's really good at offloading in traffic. He's really strong. So let's just bash him up the middle and run off him and and try to pick lines. And I think that's Portland. I think that's a totally legit way to play. You know, again, repeating myself from. An earlier podcast but it's as legitimate as it is to run over someone's face rather than run into space like you know i'm not saying that you have to run into someone's face all the time but 
it it works. Sometimes it works. Yeah, you know? and like how good is Hadley Parks and definitely Josh Navidi isn't as strong as Sam Warburton is, and Dan I'm, Baker is just back from injury. And so they're, they're, you know, you know, they're they're good players, but compared to the players who have been in those positions for Wales for five years, Warburton at, at open side. Uh, but is his backup as well. Yeah, and Tiborch will be backup to Navidi, but Warburton and then the Doctor Doctor Roberts at, at number twelve. You know who. Of just a huge amount of of respect for in terms of his ability to turn up on the biggest stage and put in a massive shift. Um, and Hadley Parks is a, is a good player and is playing particularly well this season. Good form, but he's he's not a he's not a Jamie Roberts or Jonathan Davies level centre. Like their centre partnership, it's no Hall and Oates. And then uh, I, I I mean we're kind of assuming no other changes. Um, no, I think Andrew Conway will come in on on as outside backs cover, um, ahead of ahead of uh, Jordan Larmer in the last game and Fergus McFadden in the first game. I think yeah. Conway has had such a good season thus far, and what Ferg and and Larmer have both had good seasons as well. I think that's a position which is still totally up for grabs. Um, twenty three, twenty three, it really is. Um, Conway, he is so good in the air. He really is outstanding in the air. He's he's playing so much like uh, himself and Keith Earls seem to be so similar. Like there's a symbiotic E.T. Elliot type of relationship there. Um, and I think that if Conway can hit, the, if he has hit the ground in training, um, the way the way he was going earlier in the season, I think he'd be a really good selection in 23 jersey. And I think it's an important position because my take is that Gatland has basically the same template all the time um same strategy and he just tweaks it and that that's what that will that's what makes him an easy coach to play for is that he doesn't overcomplicate it like there aren't a million and one things to learn and he just looks to target particular players yeah, he- i was fortunate enough to be in the millennium stadium in 2009 and they just went hunting for ogara and so people sort of jokingly refer to, oh, well, you know, David Wallace had to babysit O'Gara. But the Welsh would just fan out all the way across the pitch and just pop it across hands and then run at O'Gara and, and force Ireland to make tackles. I think in the one after the World so it must have been 2012, I remember writing at the time that they just decided to kick a trimble and run a bow. That That's was, what I was going to say, yeah. That was their plan all the way through it. I think against Scotland this season, they just put the ball in front of Hogg and they didn't give him an opportunity to to run the ball back and to, to get him the ball in his hands. They sort of made him bobble around. So I think they're going to target Stockdale. And even in Trimble's, even in Trimble's uh, it's great season for Ireland, that 2014 season, he had something like, he had something like two kicks, all six nations. He just, he just didn't kick the ball. So you could just kick the ball to Andrew Trimble and he would have run it back at you. Um, and it, it just made it... Gallon was there going, this guy's going to run back at us. If we kick him the ball, he's going to run back at us. Now, Stockdale has a kicking game, but I think you're right. I think he will go after Stockdale and it'll be a Liam Williams versus Stockdale aerial battle. And that's slanted towards Liam Williams. I think it's pretty... Is it Williams and Earls? Oh, oh it's Williams and Stockdale. Yeah, yeah it's, Williams, it's Williams and Stockdale. So Williams really good in the air. I think he'll want to turn Stockdale because he's a big fella, so just like kick in behind him. And I think he'll definitely want to run at Stockdale and Kearney. On, so Wales going left to right. So basically the same way that the French did with Teddy Thomas. Now, I think the French one happened by accident and Teddy Thomas is super hot going forward, but I think Gatland will go looking for it. So 
Schmidt needs to have the opportunity to change one of the back three and more than likely Stockdale. Yeah. And we, we haven't even mentioned Steph Evans, you know, who... Oh, he'll get sent off. <laughs> <laughs> Steph Evans and his, you know, the uh, the ability that he has shown both to create tries and score tries. Now, I, I think Earl's marking him is a really good matchup um, for the neutral uh, in that both players are in extremely good form. Both players are both creative they're adept at scoring tries. They're defensively strong. They're just good rugby players playing on the wing. So for the neutral, another cracking, uh, another cracking matchup there. Do you think um, we sort of, sort of characterise how we think Ireland will play, which will be kind of abrasive, um, a lot of kicking and territory? Do you still think we'll try and monopolise possession in the way that we did against the French as well, or do you think the kicking will kind of? You know, go against that. Um, I, th- I think we'll. I think we'll kick. I think we'll kick. Uh, no, both nine and ten will kick more often. Earlier, it feels like Johnny's barely kicked in this tournament. Murray has obviously. It's a yeah, there were a huge number of kicks in the England Wales game. Um, I think off the top of my head, it's it was well over thirty kicks from hand from each side. Um, a lot of those were contestables, and I think we will put up a lot of contestables. I know Dan Bigger is going to put up a lot of contestables as well, but I think we will kick, um, even though Halfpenny is an outstanding positional fullback, and, and having that second fullback in your in your pendulum and Liam Williams is going to give them a lot of coverage in, in the backfield, that Edwards' methods will typically see um, more, most of the time one one pair in the backfield while Ireland have the ball rather than two so I think that there may be some space there and how do you think Wales uh, in a very broad sense will play like it surely won't be as devil may care as it was against Scotland I think it might start out like that yeah I think that I I basically think that they'll uh, they'll run at that right hand side so I think they'll look to get Gareth Davies breaking a lot um, and sort of he'll look to bring in their back row. Uh, they'll probably try to offload it a bit more. Um, so I suppose, like, I think the way that Ireland defend, the, the, you'd have to think with the lack of Henshaw, we're not going to have the same line speed at second centre. Mm-hmm. So you attack the edge, you attack Farrell. You attack Farrell, you attack uh, outside him, Kearney, outside him, Stockdale. And um, yeah, that that's where I go for and yeah. Shingler's a big Shingler can be a big weapon for them in the tram lines uh, obviously he had a very good game against England but also his final uh, his Pro 12 final against Munster he appeared in the tram lines uh, as Ty Byrne did against Leinster in the recent match number 6 in the tram lines a leggy number 6 racing up and down the tram lines a really good athlete a guy who's as, who's as quick as a lot of wingers um, and could cause trouble for for Rob Kearney uh, and for and for uh, and for Stockdale yeah and I think I'm trying to like to my mind the way that Ireland defend under Farrell is uh, two guys commit to the tackle so say the first guy makes like a proper tackle and drops him on drops the guy drops the ball carrier onto the ground the second guy will go in and compete for it and jackal <laughs> excuse me and if the first guy just sort of stops him you'll get a guy going high or low whatever the, the first fella hasn't done and no one else commits to it. 
So he, he might try to hold him up. The second guy, if you know, if the first tackle is low and doesn't stop him, doesn't put him on the ground, he'll try to hold him up and get that maul, that maul turnover. And other than that, we just keep the discipline of having all our guys across the pitch. So the a lot a lot of the defence is based on line speed. So particularly, I think the match against South Africa was Ireland's best defensive display, um, and line speed was was a huge element of it. And I think it was the first that they'd had Farrell for sort of a prolonged period where everything had bedded down. And Andy Farrell. You mean. Andy Farrell, yeah. And it, it obviously wasn't the first match that he was involved in. But to my mind, it, it really... He had it, his fingerprints all over it. had his fingerprints yeah. all over it, whereas our defence was pretty leaky in last year's Six Nations as as maybe he sort of got used to the personnel and guys got used to him, whereas against South Africa, it was particularly good. Glenn Jackson is the referee uh, from New Zealand. Do you think he'll have any particular bearing on the game? Is his style uh, recognisable? Recognisably shit. I think he dislikes Ireland. Okay, so th- those aren't good things. They're not. No. No. He's not a good ref. He's one of the refs who was fast-tracked because of his pedigree as a player. Uh, and refing is not playing. I don't see any reason that people who were professional players should get fast-tracked ahead of better referees. Um, I think he's a bad ref. He's been. I don't know if he has any particular animus against Ireland, but uh, I think he makes bad games happen. Yeah, I think he's a poor communicator as a ref. I think he's very... He, do, he doesn't... It's not even that he doesn't tolerate players. He's just dismissive of players. Yeah, he's lo- he's a real touchy... He goes across with a face like a spanked arse. Um, so I wouldn't look... I wouldn't, as a spectacle, I don't think it's going to be a good game. <laughs> also, Ireland are playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, think on, I think on that... Uh, I think one of the reasons that I think Ireland will be favourites and that I actually think Ireland are going to win it, even though I'm, I'm always wary of Wales, is that uh, Schmidt, Smith teams are, are so hard to beat. They're so well drilled, so disciplined, such a good idea of like reducing risk. And uh, he, he's, he's a brilliant coach. He's not necessarily always somebody that you, I agree with his attitude to risk. Um, and, and selection but he's, like, he's just a super coach and I think I think home advantage even with the, even with the ref that it's not going to favour Ireland is will be to our I, I think it'll just shade it in our favour Can you see either side scoring more than 20 points? Um, yeah I don't think I don't think both sides are going to score I don't think it's going to be like a a plus 42 game in terms of the points line but I think that when when I looked at the Welsh team um, around the time of the Scotland match I was struck by how inexperienced a lot of their players were but yet he had a few guys in there like notably um, Alwyn Jones who's, who's just got like so many caps he's, he's got over 100 starts he's mm-hmm. got over He's got about 115 test matches. Like he's been a Lions, he's been Lions test captain. Um, he's he's also got like Lee Halfpenny, um, and he had a number of other guys in the front. Scott Williams has quite a lot Scott of Scott Williams has, has over 50 caps. Um, a lot of them, you know, a lot of them from the bench, but and a lot of guys actually in the front five. Like Ken Owens is over 50 caps. Uh, Samson Lee has nearly 40 caps. 
uh, Rob Evans, which surprised me. He has nearly 25 caps. But then I looked at the guys that aren't in the team and like there's an enormous amount of experience missing from that Welsh team. So I think that Wales... There's always we I referenced that uh, the, the idea that if Wales beat England they they really just get they're twice the team in the next match because they get so much confidence from it and there's, there's so much footballing ability and there's so much like cockiness just waiting to be mined in the in the Welsh psyche like they they do have just and when they're walking around like when they believe in themselves they really believe in themselves oh when they're up they're so up yeah yeah but at the same stage there's there's probably a bit more fragility just because of inexperience in this team that they, they don't have like Hadley like I'm not geez I'm beating up on Hadley Parks here who's in good form but he's not he's not Foxy Davis mm-hmm. who like was the Lions te- who was the Lions test player of the series mm-hmm. um, they're missing that sort of the, the solidity that Jamie Roberts gives you in the middle of the pitch um, they, they don't have Toby Falato who is Talupe to Lupe, to Lupe oh, Falatau, got that wrong the last time as well. Who's probably the he's, he's probably the best back row in the in the home nations. Probably the best back row at, like with Parisi getting old in in the Six Nations. Yeah, he's, he's, he's certainly he's, he's certainly he's super. Yeah, right up there. He's an outstanding all rounder. He does everything so well. He's an incredible engine. He does he does things the same with the same ridiculous intensity in the 80th minute as he does in the second. And they don't have Warby, who's just a hard bastard who repeatedly plays like a drain for Cardiff and then plays like a worldie for Wales. Um, so they're, they're still good, but there's, there's probably a little bit more fragility about the Welsh team than, than there might be if they had the recognised names playing. So, yeah, for all our caution, we still are going to say a little narrow win. Well, I think now that more people are beginning to talk up Wales I'm slightly relieved um, and I'm slightly more optimistic that Ireland will will get an hour win good stuff Conor Murray score a try three blows for half time someone needs to stop him the crowd didn't like that we've had some good winners yes but uh, nothing like you since the honour of Wales is at stake, man. Well, why don't they play the reserves? The back reserve went north to England. Well, bring him back down. He went north. He crossed over. He forsook the game of the valleys and he had his palm crossed with silver. Why? League, huh? League, uh, League. Yes, there's no going back for those who have supped with the devil. In the interim between the two rounds of Six Nations games, there's been uh, a round of Pro 14 games with some very interesting results. Um, For me, the two, well, two of the three best teams in the Pro 14 uh, played on Saturday and Leinster came out on top against the Scarlets. Um, Anything you thought that was noticeable from that game? Uh, How how good Tyke Byrne was, was was immediately leapt out. He was sensational in every aspect of play. He was... Absolutely first rate at the breakdown. 
uh, really good game awareness, great pace over over the ground, and and overall he's uh, and just another outstanding performance from James Lowe for Leinster was full of devilment as ever and is an absolute ball as well as a guy who plays with a smile on his face. Um, so Scott Fardy and and James Davies as well. So there was a, there was there was four outstanding performances I felt. Uh, and then there was also a good performance from a debutante, uh, Kieran Frawley from Scaries. Yeah, Lowe said something after the match, and he seems to get like he's he's a media man's dream. Scores tries, goes in, has a chat, doesn't know guys' names, calls him porridge. But uh, he was he referenced the fact that it's pretty grim on the Monday when Leinster lose. And then he said, "Well, it's, it's pretty grim anyway." So I think I think that idea of playing with a smile on your face, Lowe gives an offloading he's he's the other half of the keyboard kiwi dynamic to to sort of joe schmidt like schmidt has had such an influence in irish rugby but like everything is a is a lesson or a learning or a work on and you can always be a bit better whereas and there's there's no offloading um whereas low just just keep just give him the ball and he'll score like and he's he's not tremendously fast but he's just a super finisher he's he's, he's strong as an ox and he's he's kind of like uh, he's he's like one of these south americans who come over and say he's rubinho to joe schmidt's dunga <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's like he's he's luis suarez or he, you know he, he's one of these guys that will like he'll take on men and he'll beat them going back on burn i he played 6 and I was thinking to myself, this is this is great. Like this is this is competition where we need it. Like Omani at a blindside gives Ireland. If if you don't pick Toner, he gives us a line out option that we really need with Ryan and Henderson in the team. Uh, he gives us the opportunity to compete on their ball. But from what I've seen of them both play, Burns better on the ground. He's better with the ball in hand. He's a line out option. He's not he's not as good as Omani, mm. but. As a six, he gives you fantastic opportunity. I think it's it's one of these. Um, so obviously, like Munster, got to get Grobler out of there as as quick as they possibly can. Now that the whole Gubent Grobler drug gobbler has has hit the headlines, but to my for, for Ireland, Burn looks to be like the best fit for a six because. You know, not to be like infatuated by statistics, but like to play second row at test level, like you need to be a you need to be a big bastard because you're playing against other big bastards. And I actually thought Quinn Rue, like no one else was going to say it because Quinn Rue, like played for Leinster. He's and nobody's son. <laughs> yeah, he's he's nobody's child. Like I mean, here's a guy who's South African who's playing for Leinster and Connacht. There's no media uh, storm behind him whatsoever. He's not like a regular Connacht stalwart. He's not the sort of guy who goes out and like talks mystily-eyed about, like, you know, what a great opportunity, what a brilliant experience it is to play for Connacht in Ireland. It was always his dream. And, like, th- there's none of that. But he actually played really well in the second half. Um, and he's, he's and you can see why Schmidt likes him, just because he's a big bloke who gives you a lot of power in the scrum. Ty Byrne's a better rugby player, but he can also play six. And, um, you know, if you've got Toner and James Ryan and Hendo as your three second rows, then Tigburn becomes one of those four or he becomes the competition at six because you're either looking at picking Levy as the competition to, to Peter Omani 
or you're looking at picking Tygburn. And Levy, Levy doesn't give you the line-out option that either Byrne or Omani give you. Well, I think that when... I think Byrne will be selected uh, in the Australian squad if we look ahead three or four months. And if we look ahead again further than that to the World Cup squad, he's that guy who fills a sort of sometimes overstated but still useful role of a 5-6. A guy who will be your second row cover but also can play blindside. Um... And when he goes to Munster Hill, he will play in the second row. It's like Scott Fardy plays in the second row for Leinster, even though he played an awful lot at six uh, for Australia and for the Brumbies. So I, I think I think Burns' performance as a six there was, uh, and has been previously uh, for the Scots, I think it was excellent. I think it's a good fit of a position for him, but I think that when he goes to Munster, he will play in the second row. And I think it's, it's really good that... Uh, like Tygburn can can leave Ireland and play in the same league and like be, be right in front of the selectors. Okay, he's obviously not going to get picked, but he's not a guy that left Ireland. Like he's getting he's getting his opportunity to play for Ireland because he left Ireland. Mm-hmm. Whereas, okay, your cause your cause celebrates your Zebos. Simon Zebo is leaving Ireland as an Ireland international. He's never going to play for Ireland again. Unless, like, his mentality is... And, he, he like, Zebo looked fat at the weekend. He looked like a guy who's getting going to get paid a huge amount of money the next two seasons that he leaves and who's, who's not going to play international rugby. That penny must have dropped to them. And... Zebo uh, said some alarming things there where he's like, if I come back when I'm 34 or 35, I'm only 27 now. It's like, you could just go for two years if you're really just desperate to play in France. No, I, I, think, I think that was... I think what he what he meant was I'm not going to be coming back when I'm 34. Oh, okay. That he'll be coming back still in his prime. You know, he'll be coming back as a 30 year old if he decides to come back. He said he'd pull a sickie if he had to play against Munster. Like, did he say that? Yeah, get over it, mate. That's uh, do like a Ryan do. He would look mean and play. Against yeah. Munster. He got man of the match. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm. Sorry, derail that chat. No, I think that, I think it's I think you know moving moving away from uh, Leinster and the Scarlets is a, a handy segue because all the other Irish provinces lost. Ulster were they weren't really unfortunate in that that drop goal was begging to be taken for about six phases. And it did get taken, and it was an easy drop goal, and and Duncan Weir knocked it over, and it's a sickener to lose in, with the last kick of the game. Um, but if you if you're in that position, you're it's a it's it's one of the outcomes. Connacht losing at home to Zebra, uh, regardless of Zebra's improved performance, is a very very bad result. It's a really bad result. And Munster's first half against Cardiff was tragic. It was they were they were beaten. You know, once it got to nineteen, they could pull their demi comeback. But nineteen is too many points to catch up on. Yeah, I suppose I, I I was looking at it from probably a less Irish centric point of view. I really like the fact that the league has gotten more competitive. I like the fact that it's matured. Um, and what I mean, like so, to my mind, Richard Cockrell, who's like as English, like he is a John Bull bulldog of a man, and you know he he was the guy who went you know eyeballing Norm Hewitt. In, in Wembley, I think that was. Yeah, I think it's Wembley. And uh, like he's Leicester ABC club. And he's the sort of guy that you think he's going to be ratting around the the sort of the courage leagues 
for for the rest of his days. But he's up in Edinburgh. He's he's up in Edinburgh, and he's he's done a brilliant job up there. Like Edinburgh have an identity now, and Edinburgh got better under Solomon's. But I think that like they got better with about nine and eight or nine South Africans in their team, like guys who weren't eligible to play for Scotland, and guys who you know sort of given that military medium beef that the South Africans bring. And I think just to sort of circle around to Munster, Razi Erasmus did a really good job with Munster. But he, he he couldn't get them to, to win. But he, he steadied the ship. He's a real pro. And, you know, I, I, the manner of his leaving wasn't perfect. But the, they picked up, they maximised as much as they could with, um, you know, in, in tragic circumstances. And they went down the South African route again. And it, it's interesting. I'm not sure, like, the South African mentality suits the Irish physique. I, th- I think you've got to play quick if you're playing with an Irish team. So Van Graan coming in, used to playing with beefy guys. Um, and, well, that, that, and he had Klein and Grobler, you know. Yeah, but it, it's just, and, and Darren it's just O'Shea. The, that's yeah. huge. That monster second row cadre are like bad giants from the BFG. They're enormous. Yeah, it's just... All a, these bearded, swarthy monsters hulking around in the second row. The flesh lump eater, the drug gobbler. <laughs> um, but I, I, I see where you're coming down. He's, he, he has those sort of strange quirks, which, you know, one of them is, is putting Conor Murray into the lineup, which I, I'm still not convinced by. Uh, They're gimmick plays, though. Yeah, and I like a gimmick plays. Oh, know? yeah. Well, who doesn't? Um, and, and I like Van Gran. He comes across... Throwing it to a, Nick Foles, for example. <laughs> Van Gran comes across really well um, as, a, as a person, as a communicator. Very open. Uh, he, and he seems to be very enthusiastic about his, his job and enthusiastic about all aspects of his job, including talking to the media as well as coaching on the pitch. But Munster, I think they're nine from fifteen in the in the Pro Twelve or Pro, Pro Fourteen, sorry, and they won four of their six group games. So that's that's thirteen wins from twenty one um, competitive fixtures thus far this season, and that's that's not a great win ratio. But that is by a long distance the second best of the Irish provinces. Yeah, and look, Munster's season is going to come down to the Toulon match. To be to be simplistic about it, but I mean, Munster beat Toulon in Thomond, absolutely rammers. Spring is in the air, beginning of April or end of March, whatever date that is on, and it like rock on, long live the king. And and they could go on and they could go on and win the tournament, um, because they have Conor Murray. If the sort of if, if Keatley's in form or whoever you know whoever sort of ends up being the out half. Mm-hmm. Um, if if Chris Farrell comes back with bucket full of confidence, if they they play Scanlon at twelve and he starts distributing, and if Conway gets confidence, they say Conway gets a few, say Conway gets a bit of game time in the Six Nations and comebacks confidence. Say Chris Farrell has you know three good matches on the bounce playing for Ireland yeah. and comes back confidence, like Earls, Keith Earls, Keith Earls is electric Conway, and Farrell, ah shit, like I mean, rejuvenated Zeebs, okay, and and Simon Zebo gets confident, and. They, they could win it, but like, the, so that match is going to be pivotal. To, to my mind, the, where there is no coming back from is where the Ulstermen are at. And I have to laugh, uh, like, um, Ceausescu State Broadcasters of BBC Northern <laughs> Ireland. It is, it is like, 
because it's it's made by Ulster for Ulster, it, it doesn't come across as massively incongruous until you get somebody from outside of that small cadre. So they got Eddie O'Sullivan commenting on a few matches. And I think one of the, the one that sticks in my mind was Connacht, who Eddie O'Sullivan had obviously coached. And he, he must have been told by the producers, look, Eddie, no one watching this match gives a shit about Connacht. Okay? So no matter what they do, just talk about Ulster. So Connacht made about 50 yards in a row. Ulster made a try save and tackle. Or Ulster made a tackle. Connacht knocked it on. And Eddie's there. Oh, oh great defence. Great defence by Ulster. But he just, he sounded so unconvinced by the entire thing. So anyway, what I'm leading to was listening to Jim Needy's commentary the other night. And like, who I love Jim Needy. So do I. And, but he, he was talking just as a fan about Ulster. And, and he was desperate. And like, the sort of the quandary that Ulster are in is that they just didn't look fit. And their conditioning guy is an Ulster guy who's been there for years, and no one and no one like points the finger and blames him. And Bryn Cunningham, who's an agent who supplied or was an agent, he's on the other side of the fence. He's working for Ulster now. No one really points the finger at him. Certainly, certainly in the media, and it's just like Ulster's problem to me seems to be that it's, it's just too cozy, and it's. It's it's mass it's it's been massively underperforming and given the issues that have had so like obviously you've got two guys two guys on trial so they're not going to play any rugby you've got uh, Jared Payne who's got migraines or concussion related and no one knows what that is but he's not playing any rugby you've got Charles Pietau on his way out um, you've got Tommy Bow sort of you know he's he's just old like there's an entire backline missing missing from Ulster that you would have said 12 months ago that that's not going to be, well, maybe not 12 months ago at the trial, but say certainly two years ago, that looked to be Ulster's real area of strength. Yeah, it, it, that loss to Edinburgh, Ulster wouldn't have expected to lose to Edinburgh, even like they had a very good win over the Kings and the Kings are tragic. But uh, it was they still put a shitload of points on them, uh, and that was Gibbs's nominal first match in charge, and they went into the Edinburgh game I would say reasonably confident at home, and and losing to Edinburgh at home is not something that they're used to doing. Now Edinburgh are a better team than Ulster this year in my opinion, and you know they only they only won by uh, a last kick of the game drop goal, but it puts Ulster in a really tough position because. Johnny McPhillips got injured in that game. John Cooney is now with Ireland and will be with Ireland for the rest of the Six Nations, I think. Luke McGrath's not going to make it back for any of the Six Nations. So they have no out-half. Their their second-choice scrum half is uh, probably at this stage Johnny Stewart, who's on the under-20s. So they have no halfbacks. Uh, Luke Marshall played really well, so they have one centre. McCluskey Marshall is a, is a decent centre. Yeah, yeah. And Piotr is obviously a cracking player. Was he the greatest piece of recruiting ever? No, probably not. But he's still a super player. But you've no halfbacks, um, so I don't even I don't even know how they can how they can cobble together a halfback set for their next match. Luke Marshall played really well. Did yeah, it was, it was really good. It's good to see him back playing well. Yeah, um, and but. Oh yeah, like I mean, the, the season's been a disaster for Ulster, and it's probably one of the you know if you're being an optimist about it, you just say it's darkest before the dawn. But th- there's just no real redeeming features for Ulster. Uh, you know, is Marty Moore going to Marty Moore and Jordy Murphy are coming in? 
Jordy Murphy must be Nick Nick Timoney. Like but Nick Timoney's young and like God, you know he's Jordy Murphy he's a must, must be regretting his move already, having not even made it yet. Uh, look at that Ulster side; it's it's in absolute turmoil, and he's actually getting a lot of games in in Leinster this season, and um, and the same with Marty Moore. I'd imagine like wasps are wasps are if not. Flying up the table, they're in really solid contention in, I think, third or fourth in, in England. And also are just going backwards, uh, really, really badly backwards, really quickly. Yeah, like, I, I think the issue is, if, say, go beyond the professional team and go into the academy. And, like, the production line of forwards has been abysmal. And then if you look beyond that and you look into the club game... Like the, the certain, there's no Ulster team in Division One A. I don't think there's anything in Division One B. Like I think, I think, I think one, there's one, one team. B, yeah. Sorry, and the, so anyway, the, the three teams then in Two A are all outside of uh, Belfast. Like they're they're all the provincial teams. Yeah. Um, and then like the likes of Harlequins have, have fallen way down. So Instonians no longer in, in yeah, the All Ireland League. You know, like so um, Malone. Like would you be one of the grand old clubs of Belfast? Haven't been like they were never a feature. In, in the AAL yeah. but that used to be one of the most prestigious clubs in Ireland mm. so right big Milan man yeah so you've, you've got this real disjoint that Ulster schools rugby is strong like you know the, the medallion and then onto the cup but like it's it's a big cup competition um, there's a like on a sort of a, on a national scale the likes of Methody the likes of uh, Campbell Inst, College the likes of Campbell are really competitive, like go down and play like the best Dublin, the best Cork, the best Limerick schools and, and get results. Um and Queens have a have a good setup and you just but you just look at it and you start another good go. setup in, in uh, Jordan's Jordan's town. But you just go like it's it's broken. Like the transmission between underage to just rugby is it's not working. Is it working anywhere other than Leinster? Because, I mean, when you put all this picture together, you're getting a picture of... It, it, it is working. I don't think... I think you have to set aside Leinster's um, particular route and, as though that's that's not a blueprint for everyone. That doesn't suit everyone. It's a blueprint for, for Leinster because Leinster has a lot of people in a relatively short commuting distance to Dublin. and uh, It has a lot of... Uh, schools it has a lot of rugby clubs it's so when it works for Leinster but it's not necessarily it's not necessarily uh, the right way for Connacht Munster or Ulster to proceed I think that Munster have um, Munster recruit well I think from uh, both from outside Ireland and also getting the likes of Connor Oliver who was outside the, the Leinster Academy set up he was a really good get um Chris Farrell getting him back. Um, Tyke Byrne. Tyke Byrne coming in, exactly. And then Connacht, you know, Connacht take guys who, you know, they take guys, Pat Lamb was phenomenal at spotting talent in the AL from Ronaldson to Niyadio Lucan, uh, Matt Healy. But they would take guys, and then the guys having a, a great season for Connacht this year is Tom Farrell, who went through three years at the Leinster Academy and never played a single minute of, of uh, Pro 12 at the time. And is having, I think he's played in every Pro 14 game for Connacht this season inside Bundiaki at, at 12. So, you, if you are not... Lancer's system works for Lancer. It doesn't work for everyone else. Uh, and there is... Uh, we've, we've talked before about the, the Claremont 
um, the Claremont method of uh, attracting talent, finding out where your gaps are, attracting talent from an unlikely source and making that player into a, a Claremont star rather than the Toulon system of just waving your checkbook at the best player in the world in that position. And, you know, some people would sort of term it a money ball type. But if you know what you're looking for, there is talent in the Irish system that you can go out and find. Barry Daly, for example, in Leinster. I know the Leinster Academy uh, and the Leinster setup aren't happy with their their uh, feed through from the AL. They don't think it's, they think they could be doing better. And Frawley. So say Frawley, for example, but not to, get, not to go back to Leinster, but like if you look at the club game in Munster, it's like Khan just keep on winning the All Ireland Cup. So, like, and they've always they've they've been strong all the way through. So through the, the recession was the thing because so many guys had to leave to to move up to Dublin. But like the Cookies are really strong. Gary Owen are in contention for a top four place and look strong. Shannon are really strong in one B. Uh, I think they're going to come up. Khan are perennially strong, and I think they're going to be they're going to be a top four contender. Like at the moment, the top four. Looks like being Lansdowne, Terenure, uh Cookies and Khan. And it's not certain who's going to get the second place in the other home. So, like, Munster Club Rugby is certainly better than it was five years ago in the depths of the recession. Mm-hmm. So, like, Munster, like, rugby's not on its knees. Like, whereas Ulster, like, rugby is just, it's, like, it's on its knees. Um, Sort of outside of the professional game. And, like, I think the, the, the sort of... Uh, the thing that I don't know, but like I don't know what sort of mini setup there is in any of the clubs in Ulster. Because if you go any of the clubs in Dublin on a Sunday morning, you go around the, the like there's no parking to be had. Because it's all minis, minis, minis. It is it is a cultural phenomenon. How much and if you and if you go to the if you go if you go to the RDS matches and you see the amount of different clubs represented at half time in those mini matches. Like it, it's quite breathtaking, and the amount of families there spectating with their kids. Yeah, you know, and I know that in you do see that in in Ravenhill as well, uh, amongst the it's uh, just those ref- large military marches at halftime with incredible syn- <laughs> synchronization. <laughs> <laughs> the last match in that uh, in that Pro Fourteen that we did, that we didn't look at was Zebra beating. So if you if you take Zebra beating Connick, so if you take. The, the sort of the less Irish centric point of view and sort of oh my god like you know we're not we're not picking up 16 points from the weekend it's really good the Treviso and oh, Zebre are more competitive this season like they've both picked up Treviso and Edinburgh are both turning into difficult fixtures home or away and like there's a story with Conor O'Shea like Conor O'Shea is a really interesting guy because I don't like I don't think he's a bad coach, but I, I don't think coaching is his thing. Like when he was a Harlequins, and I looked up one of the articles, like it was called O'Shea's, I thought it was going to be called Hail Caesar or something, it was, it was just called O'Shea's Stock Rises. Like it was the sub-editor, bad sub-editing job. But it was written in 2012 when O'Shea was involved with the RFU in the appointment of Stuart Lancaster. So Lancaster had done the caretaker job and an English guy, a Scottish guy, a McGeekin, a Welsh guy in Bowering and an Irish guy in O'Shea had to make the decision. So it sounds like the beginning of a joke, which is what the preamble was in in the article. But O'Shea has been like O'Shea is, looks after culture and strategy and all that sort of stuff that you go, well, what the hell is that? And it's all long term stuff that it, it's difficult to put your finger on exactly what he does. So he's got Wayne Smith coming up, who's mm. an Italiophile. 
He's got Brendan Venter in there. Like, I think Venter would take an awful lot of the rugby sort of sessions. And I don't think, like, look, the Italian team at the moment is poor. We were talking about winning by 40 points. And sure enough, we won by 40 points. Mm. It's really difficult to see them winning a match in this year's Six Nations. But the second half of their under-20s match against Ireland when they're down to 14 men was really impressive. Like, they dominated the match. They just decided to maul it. Their halfbacks look good. And I've always, I've thought for as long as the Italians have been in the Six Nations that if they could find a scrum half, they would win three matches in a year because they've got quick guys, they have big, strong guys, they they just lack the transmission at nine and ten to get the most out of that. And O'Shea's working on... F- so, like, get, getting Crowley in and getting Bradley in are really good guys because they're coming... From, not only are they really experienced coaches, they're coming from Canada and they're coming from Georgia. So they know what it's like to work in a suboptimal sort you know, of tier two yeah. sort of not a well resourced environment um, Crowley's been out like Crowley's a Kiwi but he's sort of been out in New Zealand long enough to know that you have to cut your cloth like you can't go over and just expect everybody to be a New Zealander and oh, just do the basics mate and it'll work out and you sort of go these guys can't do the basics that's, that's your issue know. some of them don't know what some the, basics know what the basics are you know that, that's your issue here Um. So I made a prediction a number of years ago that the Italians would win the Six Nations before 2020. Uh, it's not over yet, any but day it now. looks like being spectacularly wrong. So just another, for anybody who's putting any money based on our uh, predictions here, always go the other way because... <laughs> the one thing I think about Conor O'Shea is how how disciplined he is in that he's always on. Anytime he, um, he gave an interview to Kimmage, Kimmage was griping about Irish rugby and... He came out of speaking to Conor O'Shea, glowing about uh, Conor O'Shea. Conor O'Shea is, he's, he just maintains his temper at all times. He maintained his temper all the time when he was on the uh, RT punditry panel in the face of some absolute buffoonery from George Hook. And in all his dealings with the media, be it print, television, internet, and in his dealings with people in general, he seems to come across as a, he always puts a good face on things. And I don't mean that sounds dismissive, but he has the discipline to stick to his message all the time. And so important because the moment that Italy have a bad loss, same stupid article gets trotted out again, why don't we bring Georgia and relegation promotion to the Six Nations? That's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. George is on the other side of Turkey. Like people, I don't know if people... And they just get relegated every year, so yeah. what's the point? Yeah, I don't know if people actually know, I've ever met Georgians who are super people, but like it's a five-hour flight away. The Six Nations is a Western European tournament. I'm not saying that it's that makes it a good thing or bad thing, but that's what it is. That's where the people come from. Yeah, that's it's all the point, the point flats. Like The Six Nations is about the fans. Yeah. It's, about, it's about being able to get to all of the away matches on a point-to-point flight and and come back on the weekend and, like, hung it's over. It's a cultural event as it's much a as a sporting event. event. And that sounds like maybe I'm trying to overstep, but I don't think I am oversaying. It's a cultural event for some people. Just like opera is a cultural event for some people. Just because it's rugby and not opera doesn't mean it's not cultural. The little bear in the car. <laughs> I don't understand that reference. <laughs> it's the obligatory Simpsons reference. So I, I think there's a really good story in, in in Italian rugby and we'll see how it plays out. And so one of the things that Kimmage asks O'Shea and he, 
you know, would he ever coach Ireland? And O'Shea categorically... Oh, that was a great answer. That's that's how I, how I would fit. I'm not going to get asked, but I would be... You see, I can see so, so, the rugby uh, journalists... You're presuming everyone else knows the answer. Yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry he, sorry. Asked, he asked him if he would ever coach Ireland, and O'Shea said, no way. It can only end in one way, badly. And you, I see, and I, I don't think I'm being oversensitive, I see rugby journalists sharpen their pencils now. And it happened last year when Smith lost to Wales, to absolutely bury the coach once he loses the game well I and mean, I think Jerry Thornley said on second captains last week that uh, last Monday that um, the relationship between the Irish press and the IRFU was at its all time low and that they'd, they'd cut out their usual feed of information it must um, be tough for a guy like Jerry who goes out of his way to be uh, communicative uh, with everybody you know from the uh, the the guys who watch you know two rugby games a year to Joe Schmidt and and, and Philip Brown, uh, but not everyone is as is as fundamentally decent as Jerry in the Irish rugby media. I don't think. And I think the to, so and part of the Kimmage isn't in the Irish rugby media, and so the question that he didn't answer when Conor O'Shea talked about never coaching Ireland was, would he do New Sephora's job? Because to my mind, that's the role that O'Shea is really cut out to do. Absolutely. He's to come in as the supremo of Irish rugby. And he sort of, he's given himself about six years in Italy. New Sephora has a six-year contract. The terms aren't, like New Sephora is into, I think, year three of a six-year deal. Whereas O'Shea is into year two of a six-year deal. I think, that, or maybe... It, yeah, New Sephora came in after Joe Schmidt's first championship. So 2014, around May, I think. April, and O'Shea May, took over from Brunel, so sort of after. So 2016, 2017. Yeah. So, um, but O'Shea, to my mind, is the obvious guy to come into that role. So Absolutely. That's, that's why he's, that's why, he, apart from G, the Italian story, which is interesting in, in and of itself, as a personality, that's where O'Shea's main interest is for, from Irish rugby's perspective. Could be Jake White, though, or... Nick Mallet. Nick Mallet. <laughs> or Wayne Smith. Any time, any, any, any job. Robbie Dean, sorry. Robbie Dean. They, they always get mentioned, so it's obviously going to be a four-headed hydra of those we'll take over from this four. The other Six Nations matches to look forward to this weekend. Friday Night Lights uh, is Italy versus France. I don't think we... In Marseille. In Marseille, but, like, it, they're both... It's a wooden spoon competition. France never lose in Marseille. Um... Didn't they lose that one time to the Argies? They lost to England as well. In, in the or World no, Cup. did they beat England? World Cup warm-up? In a World Cup warm-up. That might have been the only game that England lost in about two years. I think they did beat England in Marseille. Anyway, we're not really that interested in that one. Uh, no. We're much more interested in uh, England versus Scotland, the Calcutta Cup, um, which is being played in a Bonnie Murray Field, I presume. Yeah. I have dusty hair for a first scorer. Um, I believe you have Les Cusworth. <laughs> Finley Calder for me. <laughs> <laughs> Max Lemon and John Jeffrey. Um, yeah, I think Murrayfield was moribund about seven or eight years ago. Like it was, and they, they've gone through the fireworks thing, but there's, I don't know whether they repriced the tickets or whether they've marketed them differently or it's just that Glasgow are good now. Um, but like, there's a raucousness about Scottish, about Murrayfield. Um, and Murrayfield isn't a particularly good ground like it's not particularly easy to navigate no it's not it's not it's not really in the middle of town at the same stage Edinburgh is an enormous so it's not lost out in the suburbs but like it's not the Millennium Stadium which is just an awesome ground right in the middle of Cardiff which is it's my favourite 
Like my favorite, it's my favorite ground of the world by a mile. It's just brilliant. And it's not like any, but even like the Aviva is, is right pretty much in the middle of town. Yeah. Murrayfield's not like that. Um, but there's a raucousness about, about Murrayfield when Scotland are doing well. Um, I think there's a real Scottish identity about the team. The last three performances there have all been very, very good. Like, yeah, to the All Blacks. I really, but I, I, I was, uh, I was, I thought that they would beat Wales in Cardiff, um, and we saw how that turned out. And once bitten, twice shy with me. I, while I do respect what you're saying about their good performances and turning Murrayfield into a stronghold, I struggle to see how they'll beat England, and I struggle to see how they will get anything out of that English pack, which is. That English pack is better than man for man one two eight. I don't think they'll beat England. I I just meant that. I mean, don't backtrack. When I, no, but when I was counting the three good performances, I was counting uh, like a Australia. defeat. But no, a defeat in New Zealand as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. In that, I mean, and they're they're very much at the point where we were, uh, maybe ten years ago, maybe maybe twelve years ago, where a decent defeat to New Zealand that isn't followed up by like a pants pulling down operation uh, <laughs> is is definitely a good yeah, thing. Whereas we, we, to rally around. We, we, we had no need for another moral, you know, moral victory against New Zealand. We, we needed to do the job. Whereas Scotland are still like, if we came close and they denied us, we're getting somewhere. Yeah. I think I saw, I saw a reference that Xander Fagerson is back in training. So if Xander Fagerson is, is fit enough to start, that's a huge fill up to Scotland because there's a, there's a big drop from him down to certainly their, their third choice tight end who they're playing with at the moment. Uh, is it Bergen, Welch? isn't it? Bergen. Maybe Welsh is their fourth choice. Um, even if they have Fagerson, he's, he's not going to be fit enough to, to beat them in the test match. But I think like the, there's, there's an opportunity for moral victory. There's, there's an outside chance that Scotland will win, but like it's, it's really far out. Like Finn Russell would need to reverse the form that's on place oh, yeah. so badly. Um, against France to, to having a worldie. Um, but like there's an opportunity for a moral victory. And like the important thing for Scotland is that they absolutely rattling it. Mm. That 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 they Yeah, because their last performance, albeit uh albeit overworked, so so be it. Uh then in, in Twickenham, they were hosed. They were hosed and like things went against them, but they collapsed. They collapsed terribly. And there had been a pretty good mood around Scottish rugby up until that. And then they were put back in their box so much by England, of all people. And I don't see that happening again. Uh, but like you say, they need to rattle England. They need to make England work hard and not just allow England to squeeze them. I can which so England are capable of doing. I can sort of imagine it being a slightly uh, versus us in 2009 style yeah, rattle us, but or rattle England, but force them to mm. force them to try something different to do, to get over the line. Mm. Be, it, I, I think uh, I think it's very interesting there that you mentioned Finn Russell because you, the difference between Finn Russell and Owen Farrell is the difference between uh, a world class player and a guy who has pretensions to be in a jock. Carlos Spencer um because Farrell is so dominant and the other the other part in this play is England we, we'll see how they get on with a, 
you know, again, without Billy Vunapola, the reason I say Billy, Billy Vunapola is because, well, first of all, he's, he's really, really good. And it's because where Dean Richards used to play. And there was, for some reason, there was a reference in Nick Popperwell's book that came up in, in my head during the week that he said, when you played against New Zealand, they like all their pack was tough. It was They were all hard men. Whereas when you played against England, they may be one hard man, unless Dino played, in which case they had six hard men. And England just aren't the same at Vunapola. They're not. They're not. I agree. Um, Nathan Hughes, when he broke through for Wasps three and, and four seasons ago, looked sensational. And he's had a couple of serious injuries, which has seemed to have taken away some of his explosion. He's still a physically huge man, extremely strong. But... As he got worse, Vunapola got better again. Vunapola's is an outstanding rugby player. Um, you know, if he was if he was three stone lighter and if he was like a six foot two, sixteen stone player, he'd still be a brilliant player. He wouldn't be, be Billy Vunapola. He would be he'd be like Tolupe Falatao's cousin. Um But they they will miss him. But the other they have they have Maro Toje. And they have Joe Launchbury, who's playing great stuff. They've a shed a lot of they've a shed a lot of caps. Yeah, uh, they've a really settled team. They've got enough variety. They've enough pace. They've a decent enough place kicker. It's really hard to see them. How did um, Wales keep them scoreless for? Well, they didn't keep minutes. them scoreless. They didn't. Well, yeah, sorry, they did keep them scoreless for seventy minutes. It was a horrible day. You have to remember that. Uh, Wales tightened up after conceding two tries. Um, and also, I felt that the game was improperly refereed. I think it's extremely suspicious when an international side only gives away two penalties in, in, in 80 minutes. I think that means that the game has been... I've never seen, I've never seen a game um, with that sort of level of one-sidedness in refereeing. Two penalties? Never seen that before. So I think that was... I think they got every bounce of the ball. On the other hand, the TMO absolutely screwed them. He did. So. He did. He did. He did scream. That's a good point. Is it prediction time? Yeah, it is prediction time. 86, 21. <laughs> <laughs> After evaluating millions of pieces of data in the planet tonight, the Gambletron 2000 says the runner is Cincinnati by 200 points. Why, you worthless hunk of junk. <laughs> so, uh, Ireland uh, 17, Wales 15. Yeah, that's that seems very plausible. That seems very plausible. Good question. Do you know what the handicap is? No, I haven't seen a line. I don't know if they'll put it up until the Irish team is picked. I'll go Ireland nineteen thirteen. No one's gonna. No one's giving us a. Um, we can spin the ball on our finger for the last play because we're up by eight points. Then no, <laughs> no, it's gonna be squeaky bum time from kick off <laughs> until the final whistle. France Italy. France, Italy, that could be a high-scoring game. Uh, Italy showed the ability to score tries against both England and ourselves. Um, and France don't have Teddy Thomas nor the rest of the reprobates, some of whom broke their noses bouncing on their beds, apparently. <laughs> um, but that just means, as we've discussed before, it means they can pick a lot of other deadly players. Um, so I think that, that could be a high-scoring game. I would say 36-24 to 24 to France. Yeah, I happen to I Lord knows what French team will pick up, but probably like twenty nine, twenty one to France. Yeah, I am gonna say it's gonna be a little bit by a little bit more because it's in Marseille. Uh, so maybe 
29-14 okay. for France. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the occasion, I have to say. So I really like I. the fact that it's going to be like the velodrome. It's going to be down the south. It's 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 Marseille isn't what you call the heartbeat. But like the fact that it's not in Paris on the on a ring road on a Friday yeah. night, miles better. It's on the knee, not even Paris. Not even Paris. And Scotland. There's nothing wrong with Saint Denis. <laughs> Scotland and so England. So let's score a goal there once, lads. <laughs> Scotland and England is a tough one to call. I I think it's largely dependent on the weather as well. I'm not sure what the forecast is. Um, we seem to be right in the middle of spring in Ireland. But uh, if it's wet, England will win. And it'll be really low scoring. I, I think it's going to be about 24, I don't know, like 24, 14. But I think it's going to be England might score a try in injury time to put a glass on it. Oh, that's that's plausible. I think it might be, if I think it's going to be wet and I think it's going to be 12, 6. Oh, Real puke fest. Puke well, I'm going to go for... Uh, loads of up and unders and bobbling balls. Um, uh, what was that one a few years ago where uh, Scotland beat them by a point, like 9-8 or something like that? God, that's a good few that's years a, ago. A few years ago. I didn't eat 12 years ago. years ago. In the rain. Is that the one with Hog? Or not? Uh, like Hodge? Hodge, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like 9-8 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <was> long. <laughs> that's a long time ago. Yeah. Um, well, let's go for a repeat of that. 13-12 is gone. Okay, okay. That's a bad prediction. <laughs> and that's our business. Ain't an awful lot of late night driving food. Drank a lot of take home pay. I thought I was the Duke of Burgundy.